from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children. My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or lose heart when you are punished by him, for the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as children, for what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? If you have not that discipline in which all children share, then you are illegitimate and not his children. Moreover, we had human parents to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not even now be more willing to subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share his holiness. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this image that the writer of Hebrews gives us of being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses is the image of a stadium. So in the Roman world, maybe you've visited some parts and you've seen ruins, there were large stadiums where they would have games or they would have the chariot races, they would have all kinds of things, entertainment, and they would fill this, these arenas and something would happen down on the platform, right? Similar to the way that we do in our sporting arenas today. But the image here is of the life that we live being a difficult thing being a challenge, being a long struggle and slog. And the image is to not simply see ourselves and our situation as being mired in the slog as though we are by ourselves in it, but rather to be striving and persevering in this arena. And the arena is filled with the cloud of witnesses. It's an image of people cheering us on of those who've gone before us, filling the stands and rooting for us. As we grieve those who've gone before us, it's, it's a mystery, the relationship between the unseen realm and what we see with our eyes. The veil between the two, I think, can be thin sometimes. We don't exactly know what it means. Are they looking down or whatever? We, but we're given an image that suggests that, yes, we are to see ourselves in the company of those who've gone before us. We're to see ourselves in the company of a communion of saints that includes the people we see in this room, yet it also includes the generations of those who've gone before us. And this image that we get of our striving in this life, of the difficulties that we endure, of the painful trials of our days, that we experience those 
not only in the fellowship of the saints we see, that itself is a precious gift, but we experience them in the company of the saints whom we no longer see, those who are our cloud of witnesses. And so the image then becomes this one of the marathon, essentially, that we're running, that ends in the arena. And the writer says, so given that that's the case, right, we're being cheered on by, the, by this cloud of witnesses, being that that is the case. Lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. I don't know if you've ever tried like running in ankle weights or swimming in jeans or doing any of these things that you do as an athlete who's training, trying to build endurance, but, um, or even the, the little league bat, you know, the, the donut weight where you swing it and the bat's extra heavy and then you take it off and, and you've got better bat speed. There's something about training in weights and then dropping them that makes us notice the value of our training. We're faster. And the image here is that we've got baggage, we've got weights that are weighing us down, and it's time to drop them. That we've been called to run this race with endurance. And so let's drop the weights. Let's lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, the things that make us want to give up, the things that make us lose heart. And these can even be weights that are passive, right? Our cynicism, our proneness to wallow or despair, our, our fixation on the wrong things, or our reaching for self-soothing to things that actually don't help us but hinder us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is not just God for us. He is that. But Jesus is also human for us. He's our leader. He's our pace setter. He's our lead runner. He's the pioneer of our faith who goes before us, who has paved the way, who even earlier in this letter of Hebrews talks about how Jesus has made a way into the heavens. He's opened up a door that was previously closed. Jesus in his own death and resurrection has pioneered a path. He's blazed a trail no one else could have blazed. And he's modeled for us in his earthly life what it looks like to follow after him, to walk in the steps, to run in the steps of loving God and loving neighbor, to live prayerfully, to live humbly, to love justice, to seek mercy, to be peacemakers, to lift up the lowly, to turn our face toward God. We look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And the writer of Hebrews says, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, even as he despised its shame. You see, Jesus, as God for us, God in person in our world, what he did was he, he actually stepped out of heavenly bliss to take human form and be born among us, to become one of us, to be born, to suffer and to die with us to live the life in this world that hurts, a world in which he willingly became vulnerable. He willingly joined us in our pain. 
for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him is not like a joy that was lacking in his existence before he came to be born as a human being. But there's a completion of his joy, he tells us, that happens that he, as he's coming to bring us home, he loves us so much that he wanted to make a world where we live and love and thrive forever. That the joy that God enjoyed in and of himself before the new heavens and the new earth are made and we're all living in it as resurrected people, that the joy he was experiencing before wasn't enough for him. He wanted us to be with him forever. He wanted us home. And so he came in Jesus to come be the one who would pave the way and bring us home. And it cost him everything. Yet he disregarded the shame of the cross. Even as he despised it, he disregarded it because of the joy that was set before him. And he obediently followed God and did his role as the savior of the world to bring us home, to lead us home. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And he has now taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God as king of heaven and earth. And he reigns today by his spirit. He is here today by his spirit. He is overseeing the completion of this work that God has begun in him of making all things new. This Jesus who runs before us, this Jesus who joined us here has now paved a way there. And human flesh lives before the face of God and Jesus has opened the door that we would be there with him forever. And as we think about living as part of this communion of saints, this fellowship of people joined to Jesus, those who've gone before us generations past, us today living with one another in this communion, our children being raised to carry the faith into the next generation. I want us to think about the meal that we celebrate together each week. We call it communion. And when we talk about it with the kids in the coming to the table class, we talk about how communion, the meal, is a meal of remembrance, communion, and hope. Or another way to put it is it's a meal where we look back, we look up, and we look forward. We look back in the meal to remember Jesus. Remember Jesus who lived this life of love, who died in our place, who was raised. As often as we eat and drink of the meal, we proclaim Christ's death, we remember him until he comes again. But we also talk about look up, we're communing, we're actually being with God, we're actually dining with God and with one another. And it's a way of opening our hearts, lifting them up to the Lord, where we're opening ourselves and allowing the Spirit to sanctify our imaginations and to peel the blinders away from our eyes that we might behold through eyes of faith something of the unseen realm that we could only apprehend that way. The cloud of witnesses, the heavenly host, the Lord himself presiding over the table and welcoming us with the communion of saints to eat and drink with him. It's a moment that is supposed to be the most real moment of our week. You know, you want to talk about, oh, how does all this church stuff apply to my real life? We gather to be reminded this is as real as it gets. 
The unseen is as real as the seen. The spiritual is as real as the material. God is as real as any of us. And we gather to be remade according to the reality of God's kingdom. And then to be sent from here as transformed by that reality to go plant seeds of it and bear witness to it in the, real, in the rest of our quote unquote real life. This is the most real moment of the week when we take of the bread and the wine. We also talk about looking forward. We look back in remembrance, we look up in communion, we look forward in hope. Because the communion meal is meant to be a tease. It's more than a tease. It's meant to sustain us and nourish us, but it's also, it's meant to whet our appetite for the feast that is to come. It's meant to pique our longings, to look forward to a day when we will eat and drink with Jesus and all the heavenly host, the ones we miss, the ones who've not yet even come along, a day when all things have been made new and our bodies have been raised and we've been made imperishable and we've been joined together again in the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus is making and he sets the table and we sit down because we made the guest list somehow by his grace and mercy. He's a generous, generous host. And he puts us next to one another and we receive one another as siblings, as fellow guests, and we feast in love. We're supposed to long for that day the little bit of bread, a little thimble of wine is meant to tease us and make us long for that day. Tish Warren, in her book, A Liturgy of the Ordinary, has this beautiful description of the communion table where she says, imagine that it just goes for miles. It's just a table. It's just miles and miles and miles long. And as you come, as you take the bread, as you take that little cup and you come back to your seats and you're sitting here in the pews, just close your eyes and imagine the body of Christ. Not just the body broken, Jesus's human body that the bread is pointing us toward. Not just this body of the many members of this community, the body of Christ of which we're a part. Of course, open your eyes and discern the body but then maybe close your eyes and let your imagination discern the body, the cloud of witnesses, the communion of saints, those who've gone before, those who will come after, the great community for which Jesus died. That's our people. It's our meal. When the people of Israel passed through the waters of the sea, when God rescued them from slavery, they came to the other side and he gave them a meal, the Passover. And we who have passed through the waters of baptism and have been joined to Jesus and held fast in his family, who bear that mark, he's given us a meal as well. Because Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. And so we keep the feast. And we keep it together, we keep it regularly. And when we do, we keep it in the company of the cloud of witnesses of all those who've gone before us. And so wherever you are today, whatever you need for the nourishment of your own faith, I pray that you would find it here in the company of this community as we come to eat and drink of the Lord who is host and meal both.
Would you pray with me? Our God, we love you and we thank you that you are a God who is near to the brokenhearted, a God who saves the crushed in spirit. We thank you that you have surrounded us by so great a cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on. And I pray that you would transform our imaginations today. That as we think about the details of our lives, the stuff we're going through, the baggage we carry, the things we're wrestling with or finding frustrating, the disappointments, whatever it is, those times, those places where we're finding it hard to take the next step, would you open our eyes to see the cloud of witnesses? Would you, would you help us to see ourselves in the arena of the communion of saints who are cheering us on? And would you help us to lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely? Help us to look to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who is even right now at your right hand, O oh Father. Lift us by your spirit and help us to persevere in the faith, one step at a time, one day at a time, depending on your daily grace. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.